Welcome back to Homefront History. This is part two of our railing special. Without further ado, Chris, take it away. So at this time, it was stated that over 250,000 tonnes of railings, you know, had been consigned to the works producing iron and steel. And that that's a massive amount as well, isn't it, in 1942? Yeah, it is. Huge amount. Yeah. Huge amount. So, you know, I, I, I can't really put that into any, you know, any kind of sense of scale really i i can't visualize that you know um right correct i mean yeah, how many how many sets of railings is that i mean that's a lot that's yeah, a lot exactly yeah and if that's you know as this says apparently that's uh oh it does just say scrap but i don't know railings it does specifically say railings um let's yeah. see how many, it's it's massive isn't it i'm just trying to work it right so the Titanic weighed 52,310 tonnes, and they'd sourced 250,000 tonnes of railings. So that, that puts it into some perspective. You can see how big the... <laughs> Sorry, that's the dog. No, you're all right. Um, so, yeah, you can see they got however many Titanics, uh, someone who can do maths. Um, yeah, yeah, so that kind of puts it into scale. A lot. <laughs> a lot of metal yeah. um, had been sourced by the 7th of October, 1942. But that gives you kind of some idea of the scale of this as a scheme nationally. You know, uh, really quite cool. And then um, jumping to 1943. So one of the key things I found with this is that the scheme lasted pretty much the entirety of the Second World War. So on the 13th of July, 1943, which was the pretty much almost the year year later, uh, there was a massive, um, oh, I better not say that, mass debate. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, let's try that again. Uh, <laughs> keep it in, Robbie. Keep it no, in. don't keep that in. <laughs> there was a mass debate in the House of Lords. Um, so on the 13th of July, there was a big debate in the House of Lords regarding requisition railings. And this was... Um, a massive, massive amount of text was um, gathered from this. And again, I I only just skimmed the surface on this. It was really quite in-depth. So um, the general gist of it is just uh, provided here. Um, and as a result of this debate, uh, Lord Hemingford uh, essentially outlined and summed up the entire scheme as of 1940 of uh, scrap metal procurement. And again, this yeah, this is a, a very, very large debate, and there's a lot of information provided. And I recommend the listener, you know, finds this on Hansard. So if you have a search for, um, I think it was requisition railings on the 13th of July, 1943, you'll find um, find this debate. So during this debate, he did state, and this I found quite funny that this question of the requisitioning of railings and gates is rather like eczema, which is yeah, quite the image to have. It is not very serious, but it is most confoundedly irritating and causes a vast amount of bad temper. So I thought that was brilliant. So I had to, uh, I had to put that in. That really made me laugh. Um, but I think if this is ever this scheme is ever summed up you know they should just call the book um you know rather like eczema or something like that which um which i'm sure would make britain's it... britain's eczema yeah britain's britain's national eczema there we go <laughs> the untold story of the second world war uh yeah there we go then that's uh onto a winner with that one um but yeah that i just had to put that in when i saw that um so in all seriousness though, though during this debate he did highlight some of the additional issues of um this process of procuring and requisitioning railings um such as ensuring the railings uh requisitions could be used for munitions production so they were 
apparently checking that uh, the railings themselves were of a quality that could be used in the production munitions. So, okay. as we mentioned, um, it's yeah, this scrap metal was clearly being sourced for numerous um, purposes, but the con- um, the you know. Uh, Kind of essentially providing materials for munitions production was part of that, but not the sole reason. I think is yeah, but it's a, it, it, it sounds like that was forty three, wasn't it? This yeah. big debate. Yeah. Um, that so it sounds like that, but forty three, they were only just cons- they were starting to whether it's a sign of desperation about munitions yeah. or a or because it, if they're only testing this stuff now for it, and they obviously haven't been in the previous three years, yeah. that suggests either they hadn't needed to or yeah, they hadn't thought it was going to be good enough. Or yeah, or issues in 1943 meant that they needed sources of metal to keep the munition production going. So it raises many questions. Or, or, or they, or they were seeing actually, in the next year or so, we're going to be heading into occupied Europe. Yeah, we need to up. Yeah, not uh, you know yeah, up yeah. the level of ammunition that we. That's that's a really good ready point. To go. Yeah, yeah. So they could stockpile munitions. Yeah, for that big push. Yeah, that's a good point. That yeah, I like yeah. that. Um, and it was also mentioned during this debate as well the disposal of requisition scrap that couldn't be used for the production of uh, munitions purposes. Um, so yeah, that did make me wonder how the scrap was disposed of as well, which might tie into the rumours that it was dumped in the North Sea or the Thames or wherever as well. So again, it could be that right. all these things are true. We just currently don't know. And like I say, having read through this um, as much as I can. I'm getting all these ideas going now that there's more, you know, potentially there's um, some truth in all this stuff. There's no, again, no one size fits all narrative with this. Um, But again, I I do leave it to the uh, listener to have a look into that debate in more detail because it is quite detailed. But um, it was also uh, mentioned during the debate as well, how useful the actual actual railings were and whether they should have been removed in the first place as well. So there was um, uh, some assessment going on of the scheme as well which is quite um quite interesting to hear but again like i say it is massively in depth and uh i recommend in fact we could put the links out to this if i've, I've got the link somewhere i could post that on twitter so saves you saves um yeah i'll find it and uh, i've got it in the document here so i can um get that post on twitter so um also during the debate as well lord portal who was um the minister of works raised um a very interesting point that um, it was in August or September 1941 that we had to stop importing scrap from America in order to save shipping space and also because the Americans wanted the scrap for themselves. So in 1941, August and September, probably from the outbreak of war, we'd actually been importing scrap from the US, again, which shows the importance of this procurement of scrap metal. Yeah, I'd never come across yeah. that before. You know, the whole Atlantic, just imagine the Atlantic War. And the um, you know the need for uh, food and other supplies, and then you consider as well that they were importing yeah. scrap metal on those ships that were you know getting new boat. Uh, Can you be- imagine? I I think I'd be a bit pissed off if I was on a merchant ship just carrying and scrap. I sank and I was just full of scrap, I was just full of scrap metal yeah. rather than something. Yeah, rather you know than food. I mean? Yeah, it's it's it, yeah. I never considered that before. You know, I I knew about the weaponry, I knew about the food, I knew about. Um, you know, uh, vehicles and all the other stuff. Um, I had no idea that we were genuinely importing scrap. You know, it, yeah, interesting. But it makes it also gives this other uh, avenue to this in that you know the idea of us sourcing scrap metal from 
let's say native stocks, you know, from uh, what we had already, was to free up this yeah. pressure on the um, on the merchant navy. It's you know it yeah, right. it just shows this scheme was a much more important than we give it credit for today. You know, and this is yeah. like I said, I've just literally just skimmed the surface on this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Lord Portal again also uh, provided some really interesting figures and statistics here as well regarding how much scrap had been used. Um, so again, you know, this is by 1943. And Lord Portal states, my noble friend asked about the total tonnage of railings. As of um, 1943, the total tonnings of railings cleared up to June the 12th, 1943, by the British Iron and Steel Corporation that dealt with scrap was 532,189 tonnes. It is under... Jeez. Yeah, it's massive, isn't it? So consider the previous um, previous figures that I gave rose 250,000 tonnes as of, when was it, 1941? Can't quite remember, or 1940. By 1943, that was now up to 532,000 tonnes. Uh, and then he goes on to state, um, it is under Regulation 50B that we were now requisitioning railings. Uh, so I think that's a different regulation of the defense of uh, the Defense Act, uh, but I have to double check that anyway. Um, and then he goes on to say, uh, besides the five hundred thirty-two thousand tons of railings and gates, we have also salv- salvaged about five hundred thousand tons of bombed steel and one million seven hundred thousand tons from the National Survey. So that's not just railings and everything, steal from places that's been bombed out. And I'm not sure what the national survey is, but, um, you know, over one one and a half million tonnes of steel from the national survey, which I'm not 100% sure what that is. Uh, I couldn't find any information on that. But those figures are just immense. Um, That is immense. Yeah. You know. The national national survey wouldn't be pots and pans, would it? I I couldn't say, to be honest with you. Um, I'm wondering if it was stocks that were already in scrapyards because there is some mention of potential war profiteering by scrap merchants where they were keeping hold of their scrap supplies and wait hoping to bump the price up and sell it on um but those figures you know you've got what what would that be uh nearly two million tons also over two million tons of scrap metal have been sourced by 1943 yeah that's it's mad isn't it that yeah, that is mental. And then, but even even if you just stick, if you just stick to the railings figure, yeah, that is that's a massive amount, isn't it? That is that is a huge amount of that, is, and and that's got to be like, I know I know that there's a lot of noticeable differences during mm. the Second World War. There was like barbed wire on beaches that are bombed out. But even in yeah. a in a country village that wasn't overtly affected by the war, it wasn't bombed. It wasn't wasn't army camps nearby. That is a, you know, the church railings have gone, the school yeah. railings have got. That's that's a noticeable impact straight away of exactly of war. You you can now understand why why these remains are all over the place now, can't you? It puts that all into context. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, like I say, when you start to look at these figures now, it just makes it it just it's out. Astan- astonishing really isn't it um and then he kind of finished the- yeah it's it's mad it's, it's just absolutely unfathomable you just cannot get your head around it how much metal they they managed to source and then uh he finished off with in answer to my noble friend i can assure him that all railings are suitable for melting purposes and the iron and steel control will bear me out in saying this so 
essentially saying that all the railings that they sourced have been processed and were suitable for, or, you know, suitable for the function of being melted down and reused as well, which I found quite interesting. Right. Uh, so I'm going to kind of end there in terms of, you know, figures, uh, but the things continued up until, you know, up until the end of the war. And even after the war, the replacement of railings were still being debated. So, uh, yeah, even after the war had ended, the replacements of, replacement of railings were still being debated. Um, when the issues of railings being removed, whether they would be replaced by the government was raised on the 13th of November 1945. So Mr. Timpson stated in response to this whether the railings would be replaced. He stated um, categorically that um, the government does not propose to accept any, any general responsibility for the replacement of railings collected for war purposes. Um, for to make yeah. any contribution in, in addition to the compensation payable to cover the cost of any railings that owners or occupiers of land may decide to replace. So key thing there, which I'd heard of before, is that compensation was actually paid for the removal of railings. Um, and when I looked into this, or oh, in fact, I'll come on to it later, but when I looked into my local area, I found, um, so I lived in the village of Darton in Barnsley. And there was a really nice um, account of the railing situation. And, yeah, I, I was quite surprised to read in that, 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 that compensation what could be applied for. Um, and do you, do you know whether it's compensation per, like, as in weight of railings taken? Oh, good question. Or because, because, because the sheer weight of railings they have collected, that is a, to be honest, yeah. a fuckload of money they would have yeah. <laughs> paid out at a time. When we're needing every every bit of money, yep, for everything else, isn't that? Yeah, you can see why the country ends up bankrupt, you. can't you? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. Um, it also shows you also shows you the huge priority they put on this. Oh yeah, yep. Um, but in regards to your question, I can't say for certain that i didn't get around to looking into the debates about compensation. Um, but I know under the Defence Regulations Act, in regards to, um. Oh, the uh, removal of anti-invasion defences, which I've covered on my website, it was calculated on a case-by-case basis, and I can't remember what the exact figures are, but I'm sure something like that under the defence regulations would have been in place to calculate the relevant amount of compensation for the removal of railings, but I'm fairly certain that it would have, if not, I don't think it would have exceeded the amount of the railings, but I certainly think it would have been more than enough to cover the cost of the railings, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but again, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that's another aspect which someone could look into is the compensation of this stuff alone and the financial cost of that in terms of, you know, throughout the war, because I'm sure that figure was immense. You know, yeah, massive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's much debate uh, to trawl from uh, from the time. You know, as I said, I've literally just scratched the surface with this um, and a lot of information to be processed before we can even get to the bottom of where the railings went and how useful the scheme was. But overall, um, from what I've seen so far, I haven't necessarily answered the question of where the railings went or what they were used for because they were used for many, many purposes. Um, but overall, yeah. the main impression I got was it's another case of a massively complex scheme and something that was more intense than we actually actually realize and to kind of end uh well to kind of sum things up um in regards to complaints one of the most impressive complaints i came across was raised on the 20th of may 1943 and this was in regards to a um to dumped scrap which is on um hackney marshes and in playstow uh where a substantial scrap pile which measured nearly a mile long 
and the dump con- uh, dump contained roughly uh, 1,250,000 cubic yards of debris, representing one-third of a million lorry-, lorry loads of scrap that was dumped on Hackney Marshes and still there in 43. Um, and this was the metal that had already been processed with the usable metal removed. So... <laughs> Wow! Yeah, that was the leftover scrap. So that does make me wonder what they do did with that because I I'd stick it in the sea to be honest. But it, again, it opens up another kind of kind of worms. So my conclusion for this, looking at what I've seen, is that probably all these things that you hear are potentially true. You know, some of the metal could have yeah. been used, some of it couldn't have been used, some of it was chucked in the bottom of the sea. A lot of it was used for munitions production. You know, I I'm fairly certain that everything that um, that is said is potentially well has the potential to be true or have some some basis in truth. Um, so just coming kind of like back to uh, yeah. sorry, go on, Andy. So I, I was just going to say, do you know what I'm I'm finding that increasingly about the home front? Yeah, is that is that rumours and you know apparent folklore that mm. you kind of dismiss? Yeah. There are, especially with the stuff that I do, yeah. you know, the secrets, you know, the the myths and rumours and gossip within a village so often have an element of, they don't really know what they're talking about, yeah. but there's an element of truth within it. Yeah. And I'm finding that incredibly about the home front, that, that stuff you automatically dismiss mm. because you've been brought up in terms of, you know, being a bit sceptic, being a bit sceptical about yeah about a lot of this stuff there's elements of truth in a lot of it yeah even if it's just one single event that happened once you know that's yeah, that's been exactly. repeated over and yeah, over yeah, again yeah. it potentially has the you know a, a basis in truth at some point yeah yeah correct yeah. correct really interesting yeah so just to kind of like start to bring things to a close so uh like i say a number of years ago i used to when i used to live uh, near barnsley um you know, I just looked into the local salvage of um, unnecessary railings um, very briefly, you know, based on a first-hand account uh, written in the post-war periods. Um, and this highlighted that, you know, everything from railings, chains, bollards, posts, and even styles, um, which weren't required, were uh, were taken in. And the scheme was relatively well organised with a committee set up um, to coordinate the process. And this started in, I think it was about October 1942 in Barnsley. Or in um, in the Darton part of Barnsley, it was uh, carried out by the um, Urban District Council as well. So you've got this legislation going on at the top in Parliament, and then that's filtering down to local, you know, local local district councils as well, who were implementing the process of coordinating the, uh, you know, um, procurement of um, scrap as well through a committee. Um, and there wasn't a pre appeals process in uh, place so that the landowners could refuse for their railings to be removed if they wanted to. It wasn't compulsory. And yeah, compuls- uh, compensation right. was also being offered as well for the removal of railings. Um, and But landowners had to apply for compensation within six months of removal. So again, I'm going to point out now that this is not a one-size-fits-all policy this was the policy in the village where i used to live in october 1942 i'm sure there's a vast array vast array of difference in this um in terms from place to place as as you'd expect in the second world war but yeah the key thing that surprised yeah. me I you, yeah go on mate sorry i was gonna the, the other thing that that story about your your village mm. brings up i don't know whether it's something we could it's just how many committees these little yeah. villages and towns must have i mean I mean, like hundreds of them. Oh, gotcha. Is it the same people in all of them? Or is it because you had like the work people who were like, yep. 
think are they viable for call up or are they in a reserved occupation? You've got WVS, you've got neighborhood parties, yep. you've got ARP, you've got home. Go- that is a, you know, all in one. That is unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a huge. So the village I used to live in in 1940 was relatively small. It had started to grow because of, you know, the uh, local coal coal mining industry and uh, had pretty much trebled in size in the space of 20 years. But it was still a relatively small yeah. space. And you had, yeah, like you're saying, committees for the coal boards who were processing, um, you know, uh, um, their workforce and all this stuff. And like I say, it does make you wonder how many little committees that were going on in one village. How did those people find time? Yeah, time. yeah, exactly. I'll tell you what, tell us the years before internet, can't you? Yeah, <laughs> they had loads of time. Yeah, 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 exactly. And before TVs as well, you know, they had just the radio, didn't they? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, they, they, yeah they had nothing better to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to get on this committee and do that. Yeah, that'll that'll keep me going in my spare time, and then rest of the time down your allotment. Uh, yes, exactly. Dig into victory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there we go. You know, keep yourself busy in wartime. Um, but yeah, what surprised me most about this scheme was it essentially lasted, you know, from 1940 up until 1945. So you do see some cases of in Parliament. I think it was in um, Keithley in 1945. There was debate about the removal of railings around allotments in Keithley. I think it was. But yeah, that surprised me is that the scheme lasted up until pretty much the end of the war. Um, but it does give you an idea of how important this procurement of scrap metal was. Um, but yeah, um, I just hope this kind of like hints at, uh, some of the more local coordination that was going on, but also gives you an idea of how, again, vastly complex this situation of just trying to salvage railings was. It isn't, um, just as simple as, you know, rocking up and cutting down someone's railings and taking them away, you know? Um, but I do think this is also one of those areas where the scope for local research, you know, it's one of those rarities where all the information isn't necessarily going to be held in the national archives in queue you know i think you'd be able to find information in your local county archives and um in the future i'm going to do an assessment for norfolk and see if there's anything held in the county archives for norfolk about this but i think it's one of those places where someone if they really wanted to could trawl their local archives and start to build up a decent body of research for that local area just about you know just about sourcing and cutting down railings you know given the figures on the national scale, yeah there's got to be a wealth of information somewhere because they were pe- clearly keeping track of what was going on you know yeah 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 and actually actually listeners can it seems like a weird thing to send pictures in about yeah yeah but the gaps where railing <laughs> that'll be really interesting yeah and chris can then tell you what piece of equipment we use to cut them down no <laughs> I'm just going to get flooded with, with photos of bent and broken railings now on Twitter. <laughs> there were, in fact, one story on that, there's oh, I can't, near the station in York, and if someone can find this, I'd be very impressed. There's a building there where the um, near the station in York where the railings have been cut off, and there's a very small gap where the railings continue to run between uh, a wall and a house. And they couldn't get in there and cut off the rest of the railing. So part of the railing survived. So if anyone finds those, top marks. But oh, there you are. yeah, yeah. That was, um, I just found that massively interesting when they got to this point where they couldn't actually physically get in to remove the railing. So they cut off as much as they could and just left them. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I hope that's, I hope that's uh, been interesting to the listener. And uh, that was great. Yeah. That was, that was just, that was me. Just one, you know, after it was after the conversation where we had uh, the last time. Um, and I just thought, Actually, I'm going to look into that in a bit more detail, and yeah, like I say, it, yeah, it's good. it's just opened up more uh, more avenues with that. It's only, but yeah, that hopefully gives some idea about how complex 
um, cutting down people's railings was. Yeah, and people should just go and have a look. Go and have a look at your church. Go and have a look at your school. Yeah. Go and have a look around. And, and I, I reckon once you have a... It's like a lot of the stuff, as I said, a lot of the stuff that we'll talk about, suddenly you'll be noticing this yeah. a lot more. Because it's every... You know, it's a, you know that amount tonnage of just railings yeah. means it impacts like every town, village, city. Exactly. Without any doubt. Yeah, interestingly enough, you know, where I am in Norfolk now... Um, I can see very little of this going on, but it's not because it didn't happen. It's because much of the town I live in now is developed in the post-war period. So, right. you know, I, yeah, I'm going to go for a proper look around and see if I can find any traces, but uh, there's a surprising number of period railings around here still in place. And I, I'm I'm going to have to look into what the reason for that is. But yeah, um, I'm sure I'll find some railings somewhere. But like I say, once you get your eye in with this stuff, you see it literally all over the place. You know, and um, yeah. if you have a closer look at yeah. how things have been cut off, you can get an idea of, like I say, it just makes it, but you can see the marks that were left by someone who was removing the railings, you know, and that that always, uh, you know, it's you, you're essentially getting hands-on history with, you know, an event that happened 80 years ago and seeing the physical remains of that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, well I'm going to go and take pictures of the railings or missing railings outside my local church nice. and send them to you on Twitter and you can you can talk me through it. Yeah, yeah. Just as long as, uh, like I say, if I get a thousand pictures of railings, I'm not going to be too happy. But <laughs> you are going to get a thousand pictures of railings, and I feel like you need to you need to brace yourself for that. Uh, I might so up for a Twitter <laughs> account for that. But yeah, it's um, I was because one of the things I have been thinking about doing is whether it's worth recording this stuff archaeologically, you know. But you're just going to end up flooding your local historic environment record with tons and tons and tons of data that they can't really do anything with. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's yeah. just one of those things that. You know, as a personal project locally, you can certainly start to look at these things. Um, but yeah, like yeah. I say, the, the it just shows how extensive this was, and you know, the amount of metal that they procured, you know, is clearly represented today with how extensive the removal of railings is today. You know, yeah, brilliant, cool, well done, mate, yeah, brilliant, Norris. <laughs> well, thanks everyone. Uh, thanks, Chris. That was that was brilliant. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, and uh, we will be back much sooner uh, this time. Uh, there won't be such a big gap uh, with some more home front history. Thanks, everyone. Cheers, everyone. Bye.